what's cracking you beautiful baby yeah beautiful thank you what's up what's up what's up smash that like divvy out them links chuck them around baby flop that's how everybody locked in live and across space and time is meaning crisis and chill by joe if you want to skip ahead to the live scored live waved lecture there'll be a timestamp in the description but otherwise baby just hang on tight for glory you know Baby, how y'all doing? You got Hercules, you got a shaker. What's up, Herky? How you doing? What's up? Why are you here? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you, Sam. What you what you what you been up to today? I've been playing Minecraft with my friends. Oh yeah? Yeah. Okay. What's going on in Minecraft? We're making a hide and seek world. A hide and seek world. That's very that's very cool. If I told if I told if I told you guys what my name and I would look back at the invites and I would have like a million invites. <laughs> you have to hold the microphone. Steady. Oh, yeah. Don't scream into it though because then people's ears bleed and they cry and they're sad, you know? So you've got to keep the microphone at all times. I'm, I'm here to tell this. you something good. What they? What you're here to tell people. Tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon we're going to be doing... Hang on, tell you what. We're going to be starting... A new game series. No one said nothing about a series. Yeah, it's we a one-off special no. event. It's a one-off special We're event. We're playing Lego Star Wars for my birthday stream. <laughs> it's true, we am. We am. It's Hercules' birthday tomorrow. How old are you going to be? Eight. Eight. He's going to be eight. He's going to be eight. Look, look, see in this chat there, what's natural phenomenon My said? ears are bleeding. I'm crying and sad. Yeah, see? What do you say? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. That's right. However, it is true. It's Hercules' birthday tomorrow. And all, Herc, what's been your birthday wish for many, many years? Um, what have you been wanting to do? To go to Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> what have you been wanting to do for years and years and years? Have my own stream. That's right. You've been wanting... Well, 
yeah, you've been wanting to have your own YouTube channel, you've been wanting to stream and all that. So I said, all right, we'll do a stream on your birthday. Where are you going now? Are you, are you done? Is that you done? Is that you done? Bloody hell. Hey, there you go, young Hercules. <laughs> That's right, that's right. It's Hercules' birthday tomorrow, so we're going to do a... We're going to do a... Okay, legendary, epic, Game of Times, big boy stream. So I guess we'll like we'll play some music and we'll, and we'll play Lego Star Wars, you know, and it'll be pretty epic. I'm pretty excited, you know. Uh, we've got a couple of microphones, you know, we've got a couple of sets of headphones. I was able to hook up the PlayStation to OBS and it actually works, which is pretty exciting. I might just straight mess around and become an epic Game of Times streamer myself. You know, we'll see. Uh, Ekans Villiers, what's cracking, baby, says, I freaking love that kid. Ha, 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 ha. Matthew Coat says, when young Herc is done, he is done. I mean, right, he is done. By the way, check this out. I got, uh, I got a new mic arm. I got a mic arm so me and Hercules could both have a mic thing. And look, I can lean on it. It's pretty chill. Look at this. You see me? I'll be leaning. Ooh, I'll just be straight up leaning on my mic arm. Anyway, uh, some, I, I hope a bunch of you are, you know, are happy about or excited uh, to get to witness Hercules' first ever live stream, you know? Uh, that's pretty cool. But I know a bunch of you also, at the same time, were very excited about uh, the biblical lectures, and I did say they were replacing Dune, didn't I? Well, here's the... Here's, you've got a choice. I'm going to give you a choice right now. I'm going to give you a choice. Normally, on Thursday, we do the Super Request show, don't we? But if you like, we could we could cancel the Super Request this show this week and do biblical lecture, Jordan B. Peterson, a life-scoring biblical lecture, on Thursday instead. Or we could do it next week. It's up to you. I'm going to throw this open to you now. What do you want? Bible lecture this week? Or wait till next week? Let me know. Let me know, baby, babe. Baby, baby. Oh my goodness, this leaning thing. I don't know, is this... Is it unprofessional? Is it... Uh, I don't know if this is going to stay. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know if this lean, if this thing is going to stay. Anyway, uh, shouts out to everybody looked in life. That's what people are saying. Uh, Spaghetti says, biblical tonight. We're not, no, not biblical tonight. Tonight, it's meaning crisis and chill with Viveki John and Akira the Don. You already know that. Jay Holbrook says, lecture this week. d says, biblical, yes. Cindy Bailey says, Thursday night, biblical wave. Moose says, I could get biblical this. All right, all right, I'll get it, I'll get it. They want it, they want it. Jay Holbrook says it's stylish, you got swag. What the, the leaning on the mic stand. Hey, hey, what's up, baby? Patrick Smith said your hand looks huge when it's leaning. Yeah, that's my hand, what are you saying? It's a lovely hand. Uh, <laughs> D-Man says I like those vibes, super leaning. Uh, everybody wants JBP. Oh no, so just says it's JBP on Wednesday next week. One person, one person could do some delayed gratification, but everyone else is saying this week. Everyone else wants it this week, so I guess that's what you get. Patrick Smith said, Hercules Gaming Stream Thursday. That's biblical. It's not his birthday on Thursday, is it? You're saying that I should be like, nah, son. Forget you. I'm doing the Jordan B. Peterson Bible Lecture Series. You can go do whatever you want on your birthday. It's not very nice, is it? Yeah, I mean, how you, I mean, you could say that to him if you like. But, like, he might hit you with his rubber axe, you know? A lot of people will hit me up on Instagram, like, doing that thing, you know, when people are like... People try and like tell you how to raise your kids on, on the internet, you know? And people were like, because there was this video footage of Hercules with an axe sort of chopping at a pole, you know, and he, and he first held the pole, then chops it, and they were like, oh, you shouldn't let him hold it like that, and you should make him take his hand away. I was like, it's rubber. 
It's a rubber axe. It's a bendy in the ink machine rubber axe. People thought I'd given my son an actual axe. People really thought that. And like his godfather thought that. I like shout out to Wadey. Wadey thought that. Wadey thought I'd given him a hatchet, right? And was just like, yeah, go chop at a pole. Are you mad? <laughs> Yo! Come now, come now, come now. Hey, what's up, Radio Radio says, what's good, Akira? It's been too long since I tuned in. Is that a Daft Punk joke? I like it. Sorry, brother, don't be sorry. You here, baby, you here. You right on time. Like Black Box in 89. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Fool Killer says it's already gonna happen when it's just a trivial detail. Fool Killer is so chill, you know? Fool Killer is so chill. Moose says, people on the internet know best for your children. They always do. Walking on boat says, oh, it's a rubber axe. There's rubber axe. Uh, WMIV says, uh, or is it Thursday this week and Wednesday next week and thereafter? Yeah, basically, that's what we do. Exactly. Spagandi says, Akira mixes with one hand and plays Star Wars on the other. Maybe. Maybe it could be possible. Moose says, I was using hatchets at Herc's age and I was dangerous for real. Sure you were, Moose. <laughs> Rubik's Pot ES for Scrack it says, Woohoo! I just got done listening to four hours of stream replays. All caught up, let's get it. Hurrah! Hurrah! Good news! Isn't that wonderful? Let's check in on our campaign before we get into it. We're going to get into it. And uh, in case you didn't know, and I suspect there's some of you that didn't know, uh, we have launched the JBP Wave vinyl campaign. Yes, 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 for years and years, people have been saying, Kira the Don, please get JBP Wave on vinyl. Well, we're doing it, baby. We're doing it. The new album's coming out on the 26th, the 26th, right? 26th of this month. The first single came out on Friday. It's called Aim, Live in the Day. The next single comes out this Friday. It's called. What is it? What, what single? I got. Mm, I can't even remember. Anyway, this single's coming out this Friday. I was making a music video for it earlier. My mind has gone black. I've so been so, you know, uh, occupied with Hercules activities. The Finite in the Infinite, that's it. It's called The Finite in the Infinite. Ooh. 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 And uh, if we hit 26K tonight, I'll play it. How about that? If we hit 26k tonight, I'll play it. Because I do believe... There we are. Where's it over there? Where's my screen over there? Seems like a strange place. Oh no, that is the right place. Yeah, there we go. So actually, let me refresh. I haven't done a refresh. The refresh. Let's see where we're at. Refresh! Refresh! Final campaign! Hey, oh shoot, look at that. 25610, that's close, baby. All right, if we hit six, 26K tonight, I'll play at the end, end of the lecture. I'll play The Finite and the Infinite, the brand new single that's coming out on Friday with a new music video. Yes, I will. And, uh, you know, because just in case you didn't know, we had all these stretch goals to beautify the vinyl package. We're doing JBP Wave Genesis and JBP Wave Aesthetic, the new album. And uh, we had all these stretch goals, uh, make the vinyl colored, make it double gatefold, add a lyric book. We smashed them all, baby, like almost instantaneously. Uh, we've even smashed the add an additional seven inch to the package goal. We're getting an additional seven inch. Everyone gets one. Everyone who's back this project gets an additional seven inch of Be A Plumber, the very first Meaning Wave single as a seven inch. Captain Jack is working on artwork for that right now. 
And uh, so we'll, we'll be showing you that soon. And that's wonderful news because it means we can get straight into what I really was excited to potentially be able to do. And that's turn all the turn the JBP Wave mixes into albums. The original JBP Wave mixes, everyone's always like, oh, when are you gonna get, could you get them on Spotify, get them on Spotify. And uh, we did that last year with What's Wave 2, we turned that into an album, How To Be A Better Person, everybody loves it, it's amazing. This music right now is from that, you know? So we're aiming, our aim is to get all of the JBP Wave mixes turned into albums this year. Fast track it, employ an army of musicians, get a couple of mixing, mastering engineers working at the same time so we can do multiple ones at once, you know? And uh, get, them, get them all done. Get amazing album, multiple amazing albums out this year. Because otherwise, if the rate I've been doing it, which is basically like one a year, JBP Wave 6 won't be albumified until 2025. And who can wait around for that? Who can wait around for that? You know? So anyway, goal one is 29K and we'll get JPP Wave 3 done. And we're already already at 25. 25, 6, 10. So if we hit 26 tonight, I'll play that new single. That's what's up, baby. Back the campaign today, because not only do you want JBP Wave to exist on vinyl, but you want those mixes turned into incredible albums. You want to be able to hear them this year, not in 2025. You want them this year. This year. This. Spagandi says, I am so thrilled for this. My first Akira the Dawn video was JBP4, right? And imagine that. Imagine that turned into an album. Individual tracks, choruses, epicness, like we've been doing. And then, when that's done, that means we can step into the future and do the new albums, you know? We've got so much to do, so much to do, baby. So much to achieve, so many epic activities to engage ourselves in, and I'm very, very excited to get on with those epic activities by Jove. And with your help, with your assistance, we're gonna do it. We're gonna make it beautiful, we're gonna make it epic, and we're gonna make multiple JBP albums this year, not just one. We're gonna make a bunch you know, how'd you feel about that? Cindy Bailey says, Goals! Goals! Radio Radio says, Proud of you! Goals! Dilar says, Don't bother children when they're playing with the rubber axe. That's real. That's so real. Patrick Smith says, I listened to JBP Wave 3 last night again. That's very dope. Do you know me? I haven't listened to it since it came out. I don't listen to things, right? I make them. Then I'm gonna keep. Then I'm so busy making more things, you know. I never, I never listen to those things again until I revisit them, you know. And then it's like, holy cow, this is epic. But, 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 with the with the dawning of the meaning streams and doing these shows every single day, I now listen to the music, uh, you know, when I play it for you, which is really cool because you like it's really good, you know. I really enjoy it. You're like, oh, this is great. I'm really, really proud of this beautiful music we've made. You know, so I'm very excited to, uh, you know, get those mixes turned into albums, get them turned into singles. And that means there'll be hundreds of JBP Wave songs on Spotify and iTunes and all those places for you to listen to. And it also means that ultimately they will become vinyl and you'll have the most epic box set of all time. Ho! Ho! Cindy Bailey says, what's the name of the new JBP single? You have to all in and in this game. What? <laughs> the new single. It came out on Friday, it's called AIM, Live in the Day. AIM, Live in the Day. And the one that's coming out this Friday is called The Finite and the Infinite. Finite and the Infinite. And if you're thinking of the song I played the other night, that, that's the one that's coming out the week after. And which one was that? There's so many, you know, there's like 17 tracks on this new album. 
not like there is. Why did I say like? I've really been training myself hard not to use unnecessary pause words. Like, like. Oh, ye of little faith. That's right, Cindy Bailey. Oh, ye of little faith. That's the one. That's the one. It's a very, very lovely record. Uh, those of you who were here for the launch of the campaign might have heard that record, and it was very, very beautiful. I clipped the entire song but can't upload it. Why can't you upload it? Is it because you, your your morals are telling you that, that bootlegging the new JBP Wave album would be morally incorrect? <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! What's up, Orsivian? Orsivian, the Australian. Ivan, 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 Ivan. From Australia says, I love being locked in live and catching debuts. Pleasure to hear it the first time with the rest of the MAZ. And it. I mean, that's an amazing thing. I think Kyla said, and it, and it, you know, I nearly dropped a single manly tear and then I, I flexed a bit and I was cool, you know, but Kyla said something along the lines of, uh, how amazing to hear my, like a future, one of my favorite songs ever for the first time or something like that. Oh, Cindy Bailey said Instagram hit me with copyright crap. <laughs> oh, so you tried to bootleg it? Yeah, it tried. She tried. Cindy Bailey did her very best to bootleg the new JBP Wave album and was defeated by Instagram copyright. Yeah, the Facebook uh, and Instagram, basically you have a choice. You, say, you either say people are allowed to upload videos with our music in the background, but... You can't do the thing where you go on Instagram and you pick a record and you add it to your stuff. You know that thing they've got now uh, on your stories and on all that type of thing. You can, you can, and so you can do that. You can choose our music and you can add that to your stories and your reels and your fake TikToks and all that type of thing. You can do that. Uh, but if you do it with the music in the background and it's longer than a certain amount, then they tell you you can't. And you can basically either choose one or the other. You can choose one or the other with Facebook. It's, an, it's, it's a new thing and there's nothing we can do about it. You can pick one, you know? And I was talking with my distributor about it and it seems that the best thing is to be, to allow people to pick the music because then it's better quality. And then you can get things happening like what happened with TikTok and millions of people can use a bit of a song, you know? Uh, to, me, to me, it's ridiculous. I don't understand why you can't have both. But that's how it is currently. It may change, but that's what's up. Jay Holbrook says, uh, I used the choose to add music on Facebook stories quite a bit. Nice. Yeah. Jay Holbrook says it's a nice feature once you know about it. Exactly, once you know about it. And it's, it's one of those areas of the internet that's really booming. People really like it, you know. 
It's kind of like your soundtrack in your own little movie that you're making. And that's the vibe. <laughs> For no good reason whatsoever, I've decided I'm going to perform a song, and after that, we'll get into it. But I do want to do the international high five. This thing is falling. Hello, hello. This thing's falling apart already. What a piece of cheap crap. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do grateful for the gods, you know, because I'm feeling grateful to the gods. I'm feeling grateful to the gods. I'm feeling grateful to the gods. Uh, I would like to do the international high five as well, you know, so for the international high five, I'd like you to let me know what you wish existed that does not. Could be anything. Anything. Akira. Yo. The Dom. The Dom. He's got coat. C-L-O-U-T When I wake before that, tell yourself the People I deal with today will be jealous Grateful, arrogant, meddling, dirty And surly How? They are like this cause they can't sell good from evil But I have seen the beauty of good And the ugliness of evil And I've recognized the wrongdoer as a nature related to my own Yes Not of the same blood or birth but the same mind I'm possessing a share in the divine not of the same blood or birth, but the same mind I'm possessing a share in the divine So none of them can hurt me No one can implicate me in ugliness Neither gonna feel angry at my relative or hate Cause we were born to work together like sheep and to die It's like the two worlds two Upper and lower To obstruct each other is unnatural To feel anger at someone to turn your back on them These are obstructions Yo, discard your first of books so you don't die in Britain but in cheerfulness and truth Grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart I said grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart Discard your first of books so you won't die in bitterness But in cheerfulness and truth Grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart Grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart Discard your first of books so you won't die in bitterness But in cheerfulness and truth Grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart I said grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart Whatever it is I am It's little spirit and intelligence Throw away your books Stop letting yourself be distracted Oi, that is not allowed Instead, as if you were dying right now This is your flesh A mess of blood Pieces of bone A woven tangle of nerves Veins and arteries Consider what the spirit is but never the same as Vomited out and gulped in again every instant <sighs> Finally The intelligence Think of it this way You are an old man Stop allowing your mind to be a slave To be jerked about by selfish impulses To kick against fate and the present Mistrust the future What is divine is full of providence Even chance is not divorced from nature From the inweaving and inweaving of things Governed by providence Everything, Everything proceeds from it and then there is necessity and the needs of the whole world of which you are a part. Whatever the nature of the whole, of the whole does or whatever serves to maintain it is good for every part of nature. The world is maintained by change in the elements and in the things that they pose up. There should be enough of you. Treat it as an axiom. Treat it as an axiom. 
sky, your thirst and books, see you don't die in bitterness. But in cheerfulness and truth, grateful to the gods from the bottom of your heart. I say grateful to the gods from the bottom of your heart. Discard your thirst and books, so you won't die in bitterness. But in cheerfulness and truth, grateful to the gods from the bottom of your heart. Grateful to the gods from the bottom of your heart. Discard your thirst and books, so you won't die in bitterness. But in cheerfulness and truth, grateful to the gods from the bottom of your heart. Grateful to the gods. Oh, waking up in the morning, baby. Oh, you get to have a whole day. I said, Oh, what a glorious thing. Waking up in the morning, baby. Oh, what a glorious thing. You get to have a whole discussion. Yeah. Jeffinus and truth. Grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart. Grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart Aye. But in cheerfulness and truth Grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart I say grateful to the gods in the bottom of your heart Remember how long you've been putting this up? How many extensions the gods gave you and you didn't use them? At some point you have to recognize whose world it is that you belong to What power rules it and from what source you sprang? That there's a limit to the time assigned to you If you don't use it to free yourself It will be gone and it will never return Whoa! Never return Oh! Hey, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, that was me and uh, Marcus Aurelius. Shout out to him. Make some noise for Marcus Aurelius. What a guy. What a guy. You know, what a, what, a, what a gentleman. What a scholar. What a fantastic ghostwriter. Ghost ride the whip, baby. Ghost ride the whip. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Let's check in on our international high five status. Let's see what wonderful thoughts and uh, ideas and notions we have here in our CHAT. R-C-H-A-T, Riley's Donna, what's cracking, baby? What's up, what's up? What's up, what's up, what's up? Ekans Villiers says, grateful to the dawn. Yo, natural phenomenon, JBP wave seven through 1000. All right, baby, exactly. Mikhail, it depends. Can you be more specific, Akira? No. <laughs> Nagois, that's Welsh, but no. Robert Easley, Chicago, I wish for jetpacks. There you go, good. Riley's, meaning wave exists. We're living in the golden age, true. Walking Mall Poet Virginia, a voice-activated manual typewriter for a friend of mine who loves typewriters, but has got arthritis in his hands. Maybe could be possible, you know? Maybe could be possible. Uh, okay, Chris name. I love being able to catch live twice a day. I'm Chichampel13 in the AM. Whoa! I didn't even know that. I get confused with the double names, you know. I do, I do, I do. It's difficult to it's difficult to know. And it seems like people are completely different at different times of day as well. So they have a different name and they kind of write differently and stuff. It's, like, it's very strange. Very strange. Keith Crafting says for the sheep to wake up and realize they're being herded to market. And then 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 where would the the mutton come from and all that? No one eats mutton anymore, do they? Yeah. Rise like lions from your slumber. An unvanquishable number. 
shake to earth your chains like dew, wishing sleep had fallen on you. They, you are many. They are few. Yeah, that's real. Hey, 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 hey. Orsivian. Hey, cross up, you cutie. Says, I wish for. Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Marcus Vidal! Well, who's to say? I mean, imagine that this campaign is successful and imagine that uh, Meditations Volume 2 is coming out uh, later this year. This is factual. Why would there not be a vinyl campaign for that? It also comes with twin busts, you know, with a Marcus head and a Don head and maybe they revolve or something. Here are the Don, you're thinking too saucy. Your Your thoughts are too sauce, the Don. The thoughts are too sauce. Yo, Fool Killer, what's up? I can't say specifically since everything exists in time. Fool Killer seems to be transcending right in front of our eyes. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? Every day, every day, Fool Killer speaks more and more like uh, a person who, who's spent the past 15 years levitating next to a tree. Shouts out to Fool Killer. Radio, radio, maybe some mixes with samples of Gangaji or Aldous Huxley. Yeah. Did you know that I've been working on a, I want, on, on a Huxley track for a couple of years? Did you know that? Zach, Boston. I wish for Clarkson Wave, or Jeremy Clarkson. Jer- it is Jeremy Clarkson. Meanie Wave meets Jeremy Clarkson. Top Gear, Grand Tour, Wave Works too. Hey. Hey, now you're thinking big. Flaghead Films, Colorado. Jetpacks would be nice. Will, will, will. Don't use that limiting language, Flaghead Films. You already know that. Will be nice. Come on, Jay Holbrook, my girlfriend, says peace. I say mood indicators like auras to help understand the mood others in better. <laughs> Are those two things connected? Uh, hello. Peace to Jay Holbrook's girlfriend. Or Sivian, ha ha, jetpacks. Don't love a jetpacks. That's not funny. A serious business, jetpacks. Come on. Exvilliasis, peace is on the way. True, true, true. Uh, what else is going on? Spagandi, Florida. I suppose wisdom would be nice. Will. Will. Rylas Danas, Grateful to the Gods, Stoic Boy Anthem, word up. Joey, $60 in my bank account to support and score some vinyl. Hurrah! Exactly. Spaghetti, something I'd rather not have. Ooh, I read that in your boy Jip's voice. Jibbup. Cindy Bailey, Riverside, well, Meanie Wave was something I always wanted but never existed and now does. I'm eternally grateful for that. And we're grateful to have you here, Cindy Bailey. Savage Chill, Massachusetts, genetically engineered cat girls. I'm waiting, Elon. They're probably working on that in China, to be honest, but I don't know if you want to be involved with, with the fruits of those labors, frankly. Uh, Miss Superconductor, I wish a Time Machine TV existed and was available to the public so we could view the true events of the past and old friends, family, and experiences on, this, on the screen. Oh, that's a sweet thought. That's a, that's a bittersweet thought, isn't it? A bittersweet thought there. The true events of the past. I mean, do you even really want to know? That would be a bit upsetting. So then it'd be like, oh, great. Our entire everything is based upon a, a, a pyramid of lies. Everything. Everything. And then what do you do? What do you do with that? What do you do? Oh, my goodness. What will we do? What will we do? The capocalypse is, is kind of like an avalanche, you know? Once the capocalypse begins, baby, you can't put that snow back up the mountain, you know? And the apocalypse, the capocalypse, it just started last year, didn't it? In, in earnest. I mean, it's been going on my whole life in, in a way, but uh, it really it really kicked off in earnest last year. I think uh, that, that your boy, you know, that most sad boy who didn't kill himself in jail, you know, he, he, that was a big, that was a big avalanche event, wasn't it? You know? 
Big Avalanche Levin. Uh, uh, Moose Montana, I wish I had a switch in my belly button that would put me to sleep. Why put it there? That's, that, like, that's just a terrible place to put it. You'd have to keep poking yourself in the belly button. That would make me sick. Me? I mean, uh, yeah, where would I put a button? Let's not discuss that. Spicy Shoe Guy, Edmunds WA, a beautiful woman to love and hold. Oh, Spicy Shoe Guy. Spicy Shoe Guy. Yes. I I'm visualizing that for you now. Xvillier, what's up? Gay Play, what's up? Columbus, some device that give anyone perfect eyesight regardless of the issue. That's nice, Wish. I'd like that. Every day, I stick these little pieces of plastic into my eyeballs. It's ridiculous. It feels very strange. Every day. Every day. Every day. Miss Superconductor, I'm in South Orange County, CA, back home and in the work chair yet again. How's Orange County? Is it, is it nice? Chris Champagne, what's up? Um, what's up, everybody? I think, that's, I think that's a good amount of wishes, a good amount of dreams, a good amount of desires and demands. We've got a meaning crisis to chill with. We've got an international high five to execute. Three. Two, one, hi. Oh, hold the line. Hold the line one more time. One more time. One more time. Hold the line. One more time, one more time, hold the line, and let it go. Thank you, Moose. The artist formerly known as Adam Larry David. Poking myself once in the belly button nightly is worth a full night's rest. Shout out to that beat. That beat was from the Terence Kenner album, wasn't it? Terence Kenner, Terence McKenna, Return of the Mac. That's what it would be like when, when there's a new Terence record, when there's a new Terence McKenna record, it'd be like, Return of the Mac Kenner. You're welcome, I'll be here all week. I mean, I will. Meaning a crisis and chill. Let's get it, baby. Come on.
Welcome back to Awakening uh, from the Meaning Crisis. So last time we uh, began our discussion of Aristotle and how he has contributed significantly to our understanding of meaning and wisdom. And we talked about how Aristotle was centrally concerned uh, with something that he thought Plato didn't give an adequate enough account of, change. But importantly, uh, Aristotle's term for change is properly understood in terms of growth and development. And we talked about how much your sense of growth and development is constitutive of finding your life to be meaningful. We talked about how Aristotle understood that development in terms of making use of Plato's idea of eidos, form, the structural functional organization. And then what's happening in change and in development is that something is being informed. In particular, uh, something like wood uh, is the potential to be a table or a chair, and when it has the correct structural functional organization, then the chair starts to act like a table. Sorry, the wood starts to act like a table, or the wood starts to act like a chair. And that is there the idea that when you inform some potential, it gets actualized into thing and so change is the actualizing of potential via information and then in order to understand that better we leapt ahead to look at a current account of growth and development that was directly inspired by Aristotle we looked at Alicia Uraro's work and we went through the discussion of what a dynamical system is and how we can use it to understand growth and development in terms of the idea of a virtual engine we then returned and used that language to better understand Aristotle's idea about wisdom as a cultivation of character, where wisdom is to create a virtual engine, and there's a deep connection between being a virtual engine and the cultivation of virtues. Right? That wisdom is the cultivation of a virtual engine, a character that regulates your self-development, in fact, your self-making so that you can actualize your potential, you can live up to your potential. And what does living up to that potential mean? It means, and we talked about, it means moving through that hierarchy that we talked about last time. The hierarchy of actualization from the mere plant to the animate thing, to the mental thing, to the rational thing. So to be wise, to live up to your potential is to cultivate a character that most helps you realize your capacity for rational self-reflection, your capacity to appropriate and take charge of your, your ability to engage in self-actualization, self-realization, to do so in such a way that fulfills the potential of your humanity, that you most realize, reveal, actualize the characteristics that make us uniquely human. And that foolishness is to have not properly cultivated your character. So even when you have the correct set of beliefs, you believe that you should not do something, you will still fall prey to acrasia because you have not cultivated adequate enough character. Then I, I challenged you in two ways. I challenged you to try and reanimate and deepen these terms that we use every day to talk about how meaningful our lives are terms of growth and development and actualizing ourselves and living up to our potential to deepen those terms by returning and reflecting upon them using Aristotle but also a Socratic challenge via Aristotle what are you doing 
to cultivate your character, how much time are you dedicating to it? Since it is now reasonable, given this argument, that it plays a significant role in how meaningful your life is, how much time have you devoted, how much time do you regularly devote to it? Now, as promised last time, I want to turn to the other side of Aristotle's work um, and show in a further sense how he contributed to the axial development of these ideas of meaning, wisdom, self-transcendence. And of course, Aristotle is understanding self-transcendence as this living up to your potential, self-realization, ascending through the hierarchy until you are a fully realized, fully rational human being. Now, Aristotle was interested in rationality for exactly this reason. He thought it was the way of defining human beings. Now, his understanding is axial. You could, uh, rationality is what we've been talking about since the beginning of this series. Right? The axial revolution idea of second-order thinking. You can step back and reflect on the ways in which you're self-deceptive and you're, you have a capacity for self-correction and self-transcendence. That's the hallmark of rationality. Please remember that. Right? Because we have tended, and we'll see much later why, we've tended to reduce rationality to the idea of being logical. But that's not, the, that's not the idea of rationality. The core idea of rationality is your capacity for reflectively realizing, your capacity is for self-deception and illusion, and for self-correction. And for Aristotle, that self-correction is a process of also realizing your potential through the cultivation of character. But what is at the heart of rationality? Because if we go back to the Platonic model, Aristotle has told us a bit about one side, right, character. This is, remember Plato talks about how you are aligning the psyche, but Plato also talked about, right, being in contact with reality. How did Aristotle develop this side of the Platonic equation? This is his way of trying to give a deeper analysis of structuring the psyche to reduce self-deception. What did he do to try and develop Plato's idea of being in contact with reality? Because if you remember, we also have this meta-drive. We need to be in contact with reality. I put it to you that that is in fact the core feature or at least the core motivation of rationality. The core motivation of rationality is the desire to come into as deep a contact with reality as possible by those means that are as reliable as possible. So for Aristotle, this brought him into a discussion about what it is to truly know something, to truly know something. And again, he's going to be deeply influenced by Plato, while of course making his own unique changes and challenges to Plato. So, we have got a view in which we think, we, we largely conceive of knowing as being able to give a very accurate description of something. I know what a chair is if I can really describe it very well to you. Now, the, there, there's a challenge to that if I were to ask you the following. Who knows better what a chair is? Somebody who could describe a chair very well to you or somebody who could actually make a chair? 
And many people would say, well, you know, the person who can describe it doesn't really understand, and, and they'll probably struggle for words here, and they'll use words taken from Aristotle without realizing. They don't get the essence of a chair, right? Because if you can make a chair, then you grasp something more. And this is, again, related to this notion. If you can cause a chair to be, if you can cause it to be, then you deeply understand what a chair is. <clears throat> so Aristotle then asks, well, what is it that the chair maker has that the accurate descriptor does not have? And again, it goes back to what we saw before. When I gave you my description of the bird, you know, it has wings and beaks and all this stuff, and I was lacking the eidos, I was lacking the form, the structural functional organization. So Aristotle says what the chairmaker has that the good, the good describer doesn't have is the chairmaker actually has in their mind the eidos. Think of it like an architect. Right, that has a blueprint. The architect has in their mind the structural functional organization that is actually going to be shared in the building. The architect has the IDOS. The chairmaker has the IDOS in their mind and they can actualize, they can use that IDOS to actualize the potential in the wood to make the chair. So to know something is to possess the same IDOS as it. Now, the architect, right, when he has the IDOS for the, the building, he doesn't, have a, he doesn't have a material building in his mind. You couldn't go and house a family of five in, in, inside his mind. Right? When, we, when we say that it has the same pattern, we don't mean it's actualizing the same matter as wood and metal in a building, but the same form is there. So for Aristotle, when I know something, and this is the original meaning of this word, right? There's conformity. I share the same form with it. So when I know some object or know something, my mind takes on the same structural functional organization as the thing, <clears throat> such that if I could take that IDOS from my mind and actualize it in some potential, I could make an instance of the thing. I could cause it to be. So, if you'll remember, shape is not the same thing as form, but we can use shape, as Aristotle does, as an analogy for form. So when I know the cup, I could know it by standing away from it and describing it, right? trying to describe its shape, and I'm using shape as an analogy for form, or I can actually conform to the cup. I'm actually taking the same, same shape. And notice how this enables me to causally interact with the cup in a much more intimate and complex and sophisticated fashion. So when you know something for Aristotle, your mind is in conformity with it. Now, that's really important because that means when Aristotle's theory of knowing, there's no di distinction as we typically have between knowing and being. What do I mean by that? Again, using the analogy. 
Here's the modern view. I'm over here describing it. It's over there, independent. I'm over here describing it. Here's Aristotle's view. I'm actually changing my structure. This isn't just, I'm not just knowing and having beliefs. I'm being changed. This is a change in my being, not just a change in my knowing. The conformity theory doesn't just change your beliefs, it changes the very structure and functioning of your being. So the conformity theory is a very different way of thinking about how we know things. So Charles Taylor, who I've mentioned before, Herbert Dreyfus and others, they talk about the conformity theory as a contact epistemology. So to know something is to be in contact with it, is to actually participate in the same form as the thing. We're going to come back to this sense of participatory knowing. Participatory knowing is when I shape myself in order to know the thing, and I know it by conforming to it. This is different from descriptive knowing, where I stand apart and I generate propositions about the thing. So the conformity theory has this very powerful idea of an intimate connection between the mind and reality. And it's based on a very powerful idea. And, as I've mentioned, Aristotle is going through a significant revival in our understanding of living things, understanding of mental things. We are increasingly coming to see that this kind of contact knowing, this participatory knowing, is much more central to how uh, cognition works than we previously thought. We're going to come back to that uh, a lot in, in this series. I just want you to take note of it now. Notice how this, what we need to notice right now is how this theory of knowing, which is also a theory of being, satisfies that desire of being in contact with reality as opposed to being like separate from it and merely pointing at it with my words or my proposition. All right, so if I'm in conformity with the world, that tells you something very interesting. The structural functional organization, my patterns of intelligibility, remember for Plato, intelligibility, and Aristotle completely inherits this. Uh, like I say, again, read Eric Pearl's book on this. Right? How I make sense of things. The pattern of intelligibility is the same pattern by which the thing is organized. So, when I'm making sense of things, there's a structural functional organization in my mind that is shared with the structural functional organization of what I'm making sense of things. But does that mean that, you know, everything I think is just true? No, Aristotle is like a genius, right? He, he, he's probably, you know, uh, a, a, a clear instance of what's been called a universal genius. We, we shouldn't dismiss it, what Aristotle says so easily. I mean, Aristotle literally writes the book on everything. You, you, you come, say you're at a party with Aristotle. You say, well, I'm interested in physics. And then he'll, he'll, here, I wrote the book on this. This is called Physics. This is the book that started physics. Oh, well, I'm also interested in philosophy. I'm, I'm interested in metaphysics. Here's the book I wrote on metaphysics. Well, I'm interested in how animals move. Here's my book I wrote on how animals move. I'm interested in psychology. Here's my book. Dreams. Here's my book. 
how to write books. Here's my book. Aristotle is right, just an astonishing intellect. So what does he mean then? Well, what he means is right, that after we've done all that axial age, second order thinking, all, after we've done all this Socratic and Platonic argument and discussion, all we've done this rational reflection, once we then get to that IDOS, that structural functional organization, we can be confident that what structural functional organization we're finding and how we make sense of things is the same. Or to put it in a slogan, when we've made sense of things, the pattern in our mind is the same as the pattern in the world. So, what are those processes? Aristotle, like everything he does, he tries to explicate a little bit more. So, think about this. Think about how you try and determine if something was real, if it really is the case. So let's say you're interested in Susan, and you're talking to your friend Tom. And Tom and Susan and yourself, you were at a party the previous night. And Tom tells you, oh, I think Susan really likes you. Now, this is important to you because you really like Susan. You'd really like it if Susan liked you. This would be a good thing. <clears throat> and, but you don't want to leap into this because your heart has been broken before and you've acted foolishly and impulsively, so you want to make sure. So you say, wait, wait, come on, Tom. I, I saw you last night. You were really hammered. Like, you, you were drunk. I don't believe you. And this is, Tom says, no, 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 no. I heard this way before I was drunk. I heard this at the beginning. I heard Susan say this at the beginning. And then you say, come on, Tom. There were so many people. It was so noisy. How can you be sure? And Tom says, no, no. This was in the kitchen. Susan was in the kitchen when I heard her say it. It wasn't that noisy there. And then you say, I don't know. And then Tom says, yeah, but Andrew and, you know, Jane also heard Susan say that. And you go, oh, wow, I think Susan likes me. So you do these three tests. You make sure that your, the, the relevant organ of cognition, right, your, your attention, right, your memory, your brain, was functioning normally. Yes, it is. It's functioning normally. Okay, so I was sober. You make sure that the environment isn't creating distorting conditions, too much noise, right? No, no, it's, it's an optimal environment. So, let's do this. Organ operating optimally, environment optimal or really good, and then I look for, did other people experience it? Intersubjective agreement. So, this is what you do, right? You, you very carefully try to get your mind into an optimal state. You make sure the medium is the best. Right? And you do a lot of intersubjective discussion to make sure that you're in agreement with other people. So you do really deep philosophy. You argue and discuss. You, do, you, you enact like the Socratic thing. You really train your mind. You get the appropriate conditions. You do all this. You, get, you come to some agreement. And then once you get there, you can have significant confidence that you're in conformity with reality. That the pattern that's in your mind is the pattern that's in the world. Now, I point this out to you, not because I want to say that Aristotle's ultimately right, because we're going to see how that way of doing things was challenged, but I want to point out to you how you still do it now. 
There's something deeply plausible and practical in what Aristotle's saying. This is how you, on a day-to-day -day basis, try to make sure <clears throat> that you're in touch with things. So how are things? What is the structural functional pattern of the world? When I'm making sense of things. So Aristotle is also, as I said, considered, you know, a foundational figure in science. In fact, for, the, uh, for literally millennia, right, a millennia, he, he is basically identical to science. Knowing Aristotle is to know science. So he's building upon all the pre-Socratic philosophers before him. But basically, he, what he says is, okay, how is the world organized? What is the structure of reality? Well, how does it look to us? What can we all agree on? Okay, so we're all stone cold sober. Clear day. I'll talk. You can agree. And this is when, uh, try to get back to Aristotle's time. This is how things seem to all of us. We're at the center. Yeah, and, that, and this is something we're going to come back to. Because that's how your perceptual cognitive system seems to operate. You're at the center. Things are moving around us. So he has a geocentric worldview. The Earth is at the center. Well, why do things move? Like, why are things moving? So he has the uh, idea, again, that things move for the same reason you do. Remember Thales talked about that? The magnet is moving, you are moving. Look, look when I lift on this, and it's pushing against me, that feels no different to me than when some a person is pushing on me. It feels like the table is moving itself against me. Again, don't concentrate on whether or not this is true, concentrate on how much sense it makes. When I move the pen away from the earth, it looks like it moves itself to get back there, which looks exactly like I want to be over there and I move myself there because I'm separated from where I want to be. So Aristotle's idea is that everything right, is made up of elements, basic elements like earth, water, air, and fire. Things that have a lot of earth in them, like this marker, want to be where earth naturally is. Earth is at the center. So if you, as you move things away from the earth, things fall back towards it. Water is going to be on the surface, fire moves up, and air is above. So notice when I, when I burn some wood how much sense this makes of it. Because when I burn the wood, the fire comes up, the water that's evaporated spreads out as condensation, right? And then the ash, the earthen part, falls down. So for Aristotle, the earth is at the center, and this is the thing. Everything is moving by a process of natural motion. Everything has an internal drive, just like you. Everything is trying to get 
where it belongs. Everything has a natural place. So, and this is very important, everything is moving on purpose. Everything is trying to get where it belongs. So notice how meaningful this view of things is. Everything is moving, just like you. You're doing things to get where you belong, and when you are where you belong, then that's right the fulfillment of your goals, that's what makes your life meaningful. So all of these things, the whole everything in this cosmos, remember we talked about that when we talked about Pythagoras, a beautiful order. Everything in this cosmos is moving purposely, meaningfully. Now you, I mean, it's important that you resist the temptation here to be smug and say, wow, what a silly idea. I mean, thinking the Earth's at the center. Isn't he a Luddite? Right? No, because the idea that the Earth is not at the center, that the idea that the Earth is rotating was known in the ancient world. It's known by Aristarchus, for example. The problem with this view is that there, are, well, there were great counter-arguments about it. Look, if the Earth is rotating, right, and you, right, you think the Earth is rotating, that means if I'm on the Earth and it's rotating and I drop an object, right, as the object is dropping, I'm moving forward with rotation, I end up here, and the object drops should then end up behind me. Because as I let go of it, I'm moving on the Earth that's rotating and it should fall behind me. So let's do it. Let's run the experiment. Oh, it doesn't fall behind me. See, what you need to realize is that until you also have an idea of something like universal gravitation and other ideas like inertial motion, the idea that the Earth is rotating actually doesn't make good sense of the, of the phenomena. If it's rotating, why am I not feeling a breeze on my face constantly when I face one way rather than the other? So there was all kinds of arguments. So Aristotle has a sense that we can still appreciate. He has a sense of, well, this is how we get in contact with reality, and this is how, this is the pattern that is making sense to me. And what I mean by that is, even though you and I are post-Descartes, post-Newton, right, and we know, and we're post, right, Copernicus, we still move around the Earth as if it's at the center, and that, right, the Earth isn't moving, and that objects fall directly down, etc., etc. So, given that, given the, the, the tremendous plausibility of Aristotle's proposal, we can now put these two sides together. You've got the geocentric right, world, and by world, I don't just mean the Earth, I mean the cosmos. Earth at the center and everything moved by natural motion. And then what we have over here is we have the conformity theory of knowing, and I'm going to hyphenate these words because these are not separate for this theory the way they are for us, knowing being, it's a way of being and a way of knowing, 
And what I want you to see is how much they mutually support each other. This is very plausible. That's why I told you that whole story about the person who knows how to make the chair. And once you admit that this is plausible, and you use Aristotle's test, it supports this view of things. Because if we're in, if the conformity theory is right, and I do all of this rational reflection, this is the intelligible pattern that I see. Now I can look at this and say, this is the intelligible pattern and it, it's plausible. It makes sense of mo so many things. And that view, that view of the world then lends evidence that I am in fact in conformity with reality. It provides evidence for the conformity theory. And notice these two things are now mutually supporting each other. That's how you get a worldview, right? You have an account of the world and you have an account of how you know the world that mutually support each other in very strong bonds of plausibility. Now that, that sets something out for us. Notice that there is now a, a deep connection, that a, a deep bonding, as I say, between your understanding of your understanding and your understanding of the world. So, let's try and put this together. This is a view of the world that totally makes sense of your actions. This is a world organized according to like purpose, things are moving on purpose, things are trying to get where they belong. The structure of the world is very, very similar to the structure of your, right, the, the meaningful structure of your experience. So this view, basically, if you'll allow me a term that uh, I've crafted with uh, Christopher Master Pietro and Philip Misovic in our book, this, right, basically makes the external world an arena. An arena is a place that's organized such that you know how you can act in it. It makes sense to you. You know where things belong, what actions are appropriate, how to measure and calibrate your performance. And I don't mean just your physical performance, also your intellectual performance. If you are a football right, player and you go into a football arena, things are organized in such a way that you know intimately how to be involved and how to interact. You can conform, listen to my language, you can conform to that situation very powerfully. Right? This, right, is how you become an agent. To be an agent is, right, to be capable of pursuing your goals. It's to be able to organize your cognition and your behavior so that your actions fit the situation. They fit the environment. So what you have when you have a worldview is you've got this agent and arena coupling. Aristotle is explaining to you how you become an agent, how you know and structure yourself to act accordingly, and then he's telling you how the world is right, organized, cosmos, so that you can meaningfully interact within it. And these two, right, there's a process here of co-identification. The identity of this is determined by and determines the identity of this. And the identity of this is determined by and determines this. 
So the professional football player is a particular kind of agent. They're a football player and they go into an arena. The arena allows them to be a football player, it affords them. Then being a football player makes sense of why this part of the world is structured the way it is. They co-identify. The identity as an arena and the identity as the agent co-identify. Now, this is important. We need to stop here and be a little bit more, take a little bit more care. Because I want to introduce an idea to you, this co-identification, because this is something you're doing all the time, right? You're always assuming an identity. I'm doing it now. I'm assuming the identity of someone giving a talk and I'm assigning an identity to everything around me. Everything is, right, has the meaning of how it's facilitating and affording my talk and even you as the audience have been assigned a particular identity. I'm always assigning an arena and assuming agency and they are co-defining together. That, that is an existential mode, to use a term. This process by which you are co-identifying agency and arena so that they fit together and make sense of each other and you get a coherent and functioning worldview, that's your existential mode. And of course, it matters really greatly to you. We're going to come back to this later. This is an idea from Clifford Geertz. It was an idea that he used to talk about religion in general, and we'll see about that uh, later. But what I want to point out, because a similar idea was also proposed by other people like Buber and by Fromm, and although they also said there were important connections to religion, they didn't, uh, they didn't identify just with religion. These existential modes, they are meta-meaning relations. What does that mean? If you do not have the agent-arena relationship, then none of your particular actions have meaning. If I put the tennis player into the football arena, it's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. Things aren't, right? The, the tennis player can do all they want and it doesn't make any sense. The environment is like, what? What's going on? That's absurd. Notice that word, we're gonna come back to it. Unless the coupling works, your individual actions and projects of meaning don't work. It's a meta-meaning system because this mode makes possible an entire system of meanings. It means, right, that the throwing the ball has a meaning for the football player, right? The catching the ball, the running here, all of these different things take on their meaning because an agent-arena relationship has been set up. You're doing it right now. You have, a, right, you have assumed a particular identity, you've assigned an identity to me, and within that existential mode, everything you're doing and I'm doing take on whatever meaning they have. This is very, very important. This idea of your existential mode being a meta-meeting relationship, and that what it does is it's an instance, a particular way of enacting this worldview relationship. Geertz, Geertz calls this, this thing we're seeing in Aristotle, the way you get this mutual support 
mutual intelligibility, not as a static relation, but as an unfolding process. He calls this worldview attunement. So one of the things that's really important to you, right, is that your existential mode, the way in which you are creating co-identifications of agent, agent and arena, actually fit into a process of worldview attunement. If you don't have a worldview with worldview attunement, then ultimately you can't get this going. You will be like the tennis player trying to play tennis in the football arena. You will start to experience your existence as absurd. It won't make any sense to you. Now that matters, right? Because one of the ways in which the meaning crisis expresses itself is in people saying that they feel existence is absurd. People often express the opposite of absurdity when they articulate that they have a meta-meaning, existential mode that affords a functioning worldview attunement which gives them ways in which they are co-creating with the world, the agent arena relationship. So, notice what this has done, what Aristotle's done here. It's so powerful. He's given us a way, a language of articulating a connection between what we often don't see a deep connection between our projects of trying to intellectually understand the world and our existential projects of trying to feel like we fit in and belong in a meaningful fashion. That's what's so beautiful about Aristotle. He's given an integrated account of both of these. And for many of us today, we don't find that clear, consonant connection. We have a scientific worldview view of how things are, how we understand things given our science, but one of the most common complaints of that worldview is it gives us no existential guidance. It doesn't tell us how to make our lives meaningful. I wanted to propose to you a term for talking about this set of things, where you have a worldview that is demonstrating on an ongoing reliable fashion worldview attunement and so that it is constantly affording existential modes in which agent arena relationships are unfolding and blossoming naturally so that the person is not experiencing absurdity and so the per person is constantly experiencing a deep connectedness between their intellectual projects of making sense of the world and their existential projects of finding meaning and belonging and fittedness within it. I'm going to call that a nomological order. Nomological order comes from nomos, right? Law. This is what makes the universe law-like. Not, not just in our current sense of scientific law, but in the sense that it's a cosmos for us. It's a cosmos in which there's deep convergence and consonant between our best attempts to scientifically explain the world 
and our deepest endeavors to existentially dwell within it. When we have that, when we have those two together, we have a nomological order. As the nomological order breaks down, of course, then we start to confront absurdity and we start to lose a sense of how we fit in and how we belong. So, part of what we can take from, part of how we can understand the Axial Age heritage, part of the way we can understand what it's telling us about meaning, is this idea of a nomological order. To have a meaningful life is to have a life that is situated within a nomological order and a tuned worldview that is reliably generating existential modes that are consonant with our best scientific understanding. So I want to pause now in the discussion of the Axial Age in Greece and in ancient Israel. We will return uh, to ancient Israel um, after we complete our survey of the Axial Age. But I'd now like to move to another place that is uh, a, a, an important locus of the Axial Revo uh, Revolution that is having a significant impact on us uh, today. This is something that I mentioned earlier on in this series. We're in the midst of what's been called the Mindfulness Revolution. One of the ways in which people are responding to the meaning crisis is by an, an intense interest, both existentially and personally, and scientifically in the phenomena of mindfulness. That somehow mindfulness and the cultivation of mindfulness is a way of retrieving the project of cultivating wisdom and self-transcendence and uh, somehow deepening the meaning that we are finding in our lives. And of course, when I talk about mindfulness and mention things like meditation and contemplation, our thoughts should turn, of course, to India and the axial revolution that was taking there. Um, and the particular form that uh, revolution took that is impacting the West and the meaning crisis, as I mentioned at the beginning of the series, was in the generation of Buddhism and the set of practices around it. Now this is a very complex topic. We're not going to do it all at once right now, or it's going to unfold as we move through the series. But I want to talk about the Axial Revolution in India. I want to talk about m mindfulness, and uh, I want to talk about what, what it is as a psychotechnology, how it's associated with wisdom and self-transcendence, and I want to begin the discussion of the nature of enlightenment and why enlightenment is largely a project of trying to deal with threats of meaning in one's life. So, just the way, I mean, it's only analogous in this way, so don't draw too much, but in the way Socrates was the embodiment of the Axial Revolution in ancient Greece, I think you can see Siddhartha Gautama as the embodiment of the Axial Revolution in India. As I mentioned, of course, the Axial Revolution is being driven there by similar kinds of processes. There's, there's coinage, and there's alphabetic literacy, and other things like this developing. But there's specific psychotechnologies that seem to have come to the fore, and the reasons for that are very complex. I would recommend taking a look at Karen Armstrong's book, uh, The Great Transformation, because she tries to tease out why did psychotechnologies of mindfulness become so prominent in, in ancient India? And, and I'm not going to go into that history, 
but she gives a fairly coherent explanation about sort of historical cultural factors that generated it. What I wanted to instead is start talking about Siddhartha as a way of, again, giving us a doorway into the Axial Revolution in India. So Siddhartha, right, it's, it's all of these figures, right, Socrates, and Siddhartha, later when we talk about Jesus, I, I, I mean, trying to talk about, well, who, what's the historical, this is, this is a quixotic endeavor, trying to somehow peel away and separate them from their legacy is largely a, a project that you can only pursue to a certain degree. So I cannot, and I, I don't think anybody can say with certainty, this is what the historical Siddhartha was doing. And I'm not going to endeavor to try and separate the myth, and I told you how I use the word myth, uh, from the, his the history. I'm going to let them still remain seamlessly together because that's precisely how they are making an impact on the West. So the story goes like this. Siddhartha, uh, what, when Siddhartha was born, his father had all of the sages and wise men come to his birth, and it was prophesied. Uh, foretold in sort of an oracle fashion that uh, the boy had one of two possible futures. One is he would be a, a great king, um, or the other was he would enter religious life and be a really important religious figure. The king, being what all kings are, uh, chose uh, the former. He wanted his son, of course, to be a great king. And he decided in order to do this, he would try and remove all of the things that might trigger Siddhartha from pursuing a religious life, a life devoted to the ideals of the Axial Revolution. So what do you do if you do not want someone to go through the Axial Revolution? Well, you try and give them all the benefits of the pre-Axial world. You try and give them all the benefits of power and prosperity. So the story goes that the king rigged things so that Siddhartha never saw anything distressing, he was always surrounded by beautiful women, correct amount of food, everything that he wanted. And we can sort of just um, take that as it is, or we can step back and do something that you should always do with things that have a mythological component. Remember, myths are not irrelevant stories about the past. They're attempts to get you to engage right now with perennial ongoing patterns. So I want, to, I want to talk about what the palace represents. A good way of getting at this, right, is Marcus Aurelius's famous quote that, and this is how it goes, it is possible to be happy even in a palace. That tells you how much the Axial Revolution, right, is right, antithetical to palace life. Now a way of getting that is to get at a notion, which we're going to come back to later when we talk about Stoics like Marcus Aurelius, drawn from Fromm, and this goes to this idea that I just explained to you, existential mode, that the palace represents a particular existential mode. It's a mythological way of trying to get you to right, experience, not just think about, but activate in your memory a particular existential mode. All right, so we're talking about the palace. We're talking about Siddhartha living in the palace. What does this represent? Fromm talks about two different existential modes that we all face. Again, perennial patterns. They're organized around two different kinds of needs. They're having needs, 
and be angry. So, of course, this mode is called the having mode. It's an existential mode. It's a way in which you make sense of the world and make sense of yourself in this process of co-identification. This is the being mode. Okay, so having needs are needs that are met by having something. These are needs that are met by categorizing things efficiently, controlling them effectively. So my understanding of a thing is categorical. I put it in the correct category. Here's a cup. I can it's like all the other cups. It functions like another cup. I can replace it with a cup if this one gets damaged. It really improves my ability to control things. I have this categorical way of representing it, and it's oriented towards me getting very effective, efficient control over things, because I need to have water. I need to actually consume it. If I don't, I die. So having, being able to categorize, categorize my world, manipulate it and control it so I get water is very important. That means I relate to things uh, in what Buber, uh, who I also mentioned, called an I-it fashion. And it is uh, an identity something has when it belongs to a category. And so what I'm mostly relying on here is my intelligence, which is my ability to control and manipulate things right, to achieve solving my problems. Now, there's nothing wrong with the having mode. You need to have water, you need to have food, you need to have oxygen. The being mode is different. The being needs are not met by having something, they're met by becoming something. So for example, you need to become mature. Or Aristotle might say you need to become virtuous. It's not meant by having something, it's met by becoming, developing. These are developmental needs. According to Fromm, because of that, these are needs that have to do with right, a particular kind of meaning that you're creating for your existence. And so you're not relating to things categorically, but as Collingwood, for example, say, relating to them expressively. Let me show you what I mean with a concrete example. And we're going to come back to these kinds of examples when we talk again about the connections between love and anagoge. Okay? When you're in love with somebody, right, you are engaged right, in a being need. You're trying to, if it's, if it's love, as opposed to just desire or sex, you're trying to become something and you're trying to afford them becoming something. You're trying to meet your needs of meaning and right, maturity, growth, and development. That's why we pursue love, right? As opposed, you know, and I'm not, I'm not a prude. Sometimes you just want to have sex with people. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you have said, no, what I want here is love, okay? Now notice that, so I'm in love with this amazing woman, Sara, okay? And I'm in this relationship with her this relationship of mutual development, mutual realization. In fact, that's a, that's a great way of thinking about love. Love is this process like anagoge of reciprocal realization. 
I don't think of, uh, of Sara categorically. Remember how I thought of the cup? This is a good cup because it reminds me of all the other cups that I've ever seen. And I know how to replace this if this one's damaged and I can control and manipulate it. If I was to say to Sara, you know why I'm with you? Because you remind me of every other woman I've been with, been with and I could easily replace you if I lose you and I know how to control and manipulate you. I have not made this relationship better. I pretty much just destroyed it. Because I don't interact with Sara from the having mode. I don't understand her expressively. I'm not trying to control and manipulate. I'm trying to engage in a process of reciprocal realization. We're going to talk a lot about this when we talk about Gnosis. So my relationship, I don't assume, right, controller, manipulator of an it thing. I have an I-thou relationship with Sara. And here, I'm not trying to solve problems. I'm using my reason because I'm not about trying to get rid of my problems. I'm trying to make meaning. To live in the palace is to try and live everything from the having mode. See, Fromm's, it's not that this is good and this is bad. Fromm's point is we get mixed up. We try to satisfy our being needs within the having mode. We suffer from modal confusion. Think about how much our culture is organized around this because it serves a lot of market interests if I can confuse you. If I can get you to try and pursue your being needs within the having mode, you need to be mature. Here's a car you can have. You need to be in love. Here's lots of sex you can have. Notice how we talk about making love but having sex. Modal confusion. Deep existential confusion. And what happens when you're modally confused, right, is but your need for maturity isn't being met by having the car. Your need for love is not being met by having sex. So you pursue it more. Buy more cars. Purchase more sex. The more, right, the more the corporate world, the market world can get you to try to pursue your being needs from the having mode, the more they can induce modal confusion in you, the more they can sell to you. Being in the palace is a myth in the sense that I'm trying to teach you for modal confusion. It's a myth of trying to live your entire life within the having mode. But here's the thing, because the story continues. Siddhartha leaves the palace. And he leaves the palace in a way that teaches us something about overcoming modal confusion. And in our next time together, we're going to look at how Siddhartha left the palace, and we're going to look about, we're going to look at what does mindfulness have to do with that? What does all of this have to do with wisdom and enlightenment? Thank you very much for your time.
experiencing meaning crisis and chill with Viveki, John, and Akira the Dawn. Make some noise. Yo. That's a cliffhanger right there. Yo, what's gonna happen when that young boy leave that palace though? What's he gonna find? Yo! Make some noise, baby. How you feeling out there? How you enjoy that? Ooh. Ekans Villiers says, John, make goop brain go brr. That's what's up. Yeah! Oh, baby, what a time to be alive. Vicky John and Akira the Dawn Keep coming on like the shaman at night you on Woo! Man, that was pleasing <laughs> I keep getting flashbacks to nearly dying When I first listened to this, as some of you may know, you know, I was I was famously riding an e-scooter from West Hollywood to downtown Los Angeles where my studio was and back again, you know, there and back, each day listening to this. And there'd be moments where I'd want to write down something you boys said that would cause traffic incidents. There are other moments where it just made me piss myself laughing and I would lose control of my scooter and, you know, nearly kill a homeless person or something like that. A bit worse comparing his girlfriend to the cup. Shouts out to Sarah. Sarah's a big fan of, of the record we did together, you know. It's always good when the when the significant other likes the music. It's always good when the significant other likes the music, you know. Shouts out to Tammy Pizza Song. Amazing woman. What's cracking, gang? How y'all doing? I'm gonna throw the chat up on the screen. You can make some noise with your hieroglyphs. How about that? Make some noise with your hieroglyphs. Let me get the chat up on screen. Make that happen. Get that cracking. From the back section. Restore the chat to its rightful place. Its rightful place in the mode of being. What are our takeaways from that? What did we learn? What are our takeaways? What are our favorite things? From that there. Excursion. Excursion, baby. Excursion to the palaces of meaning, the halls of meaning. Hey. Word XP says shouts out to the Marcus Aurelius cameo in today's lecture. Yeah, right, and you know that's coming up, baby. Coming up on Meaning Crisis and Chill, the Stoics. Word XP, making love versus having sex. Having versus making. Yeah. Yeah. Tape Damage says, I love scooters. I've got two of them, a Yamaha Vino and a Honda Helix. Ooh, which is the best? Shouts out to the scooter emojis. He is weaving a tapestry for Meaning Wave Threads. Matthew Coe, good night, MAZ. I have some serious thinking to do. Thank you all for your existence. Hey, God bless you, baby. God bless you. Pew, pew, pew. Trees come out of the air. Sajitaj, red dress and a red sports car with some cocaine. Exactly. Beautiful woman. Matthew Coe says, wow, really realizing where I am modally confused. Lol. <laughs> 
I know, right? That's a lot of the problems a lot of people have in this world, you know? And a lot of that seems to be, like, deliberately engineered right now. We're in a state of great modal confusion all over the place. You know? People are mad confused, you know? Particularly all these people on their Zoom calls. You know, like, you know, that, 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 that dreadful cat lady, poor creature. You know, she on the stool and, like, this bit of her here is is proper and the rest of us are wrecking mess. So much modal confusion. Word XP says Johnny V is Morpheus. Yo. <laughs> right? The man under the Bodhi tree. Word XP says it took four pages of notes. That's nice. Cindy Bailey says, let's read Siddhartha on stream. So Crown One from the Church in the Woods says, up from Texas. Hey, what's up from Texas too? What's up from Texas? Yeah. WMIV says he deconstructed the whole marketing industry in the last five minutes, RIP. Uh, Nick Mayaga, marketing is basically meant to drive this confusion. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's, if you've never seen it, Adam Curtis did a wonderful documentary about uh, Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays, who was a student of Freud, and he took all that and used it to sell cigarettes to ladies by making them think they were penises or something. Just breaks down the whole birth of that whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. WMIV says the agent arena relationship made sense. Yeah, I like that one. Uh, Janet Hensley said he also summed up the problem with karate schools, handing out black belts and not actually sparring. He does Taekwondo, doesn't he? Samara C, what's up from Portland? Shouts out to Portland. How's Portland? How's Portland? Is it really like they say? Do you, is it like Grand Theft Auto? People like drag you out your car and beat you in the streets? Is that exaggerated? Is it okay in Portland? Shouts out to Portland. Jaden Hensley, he also summed up the problem. I read that already. Meaning crisis and chill. Samara C says, I love you so much, man. You are breathtaking. You, Samara C, you, God bless. Meaning crisis and chill. With Akira the Don and Viveki John, we here every Tuesday doing this. It's a really, really joyful endeavor, I gotta say. I'm enjoying it very much. Enjoying it very much. Looking forward to going deep on the Stoics. You know, that's a great, great session. Looking forward to getting in on, going in on Jesus, you know. Hey, uh, did we do we hit our target? Are we getting a new? Are we listening to a new JBP record, or or are you are you not hearing it? Should we see? Before we head off to to the glory of Hercules' birthday preparations, it's crazy having a baby. 
like that close to Christmas. You know what I mean? You got like two Christmas. It's like Christmas one week and then a week and a half later it's like Christmas two, the revenge. The revenge of Christmas. But it's kind of got this existential like extra thing built into it because it's like this this little death every time and also this birth, you know, because the seven-year-old is gone, you know. Never again will Hercules be a seven-year-old. Never again will my, my beautiful son Hercules be a seven-year-old boy, you know. I was walking, I was, was talking for a walk this morning after after uh, the stream every morning we do this I'd, I, I wake up you know I come up here I, I DJ for a couple of hours and I go downstairs and my boy is working you know and we go for a walk you know we live in Texas now and we go for a walk and he still goes oh it's, it's nice that the world isn't on fire here dada is it still on fire in other places you know it's always on fire somewhere you know that's the thing boy it's always on fire somewhere but uh, my job right now is to get you ready to be able to deal with those fires, not to have you burn, you know? Not right, not yet, baby. You gotta be ready though. You gotta be ready, boy. So, you know, I take him down the lake and we find dead bodies, you know? Found us a dead body the other day, you know? And uh, it was a dead deer and, and, and the, beat, the coyotes and that had ripped it apart, you know? But there was, there was still some flesh remaining. There was an eyeball, this, that, and the other, you know? We were back down there today and there ain't much left of that deer now. The eyeball's gone. They just left a little bit of a little bit of fur, you know. Hercules is really excited. He's finding all these other little things, these little, little creatures, little dead fish things, and all this stuff. He was really excited. It's fossils, Dada. Take a picture of that, put it on Twitter. They'll think we're the number one twi- fossil hunters. But you know, yeah, I was walking down with him this morning. I was like, she. You ain't gonna be a seven-year-old boy tomorrow. I ain't gonna be walking hand in hand down this hill with this little seven-year-old boy with his rubber axe. No, it'll be an eight-year-old man. Ah. So you know, it's, it's it's a this bittersweet thing. It's beautiful, you know. It's beautiful. Beautiful, baby. Savage Chill, I learned from this how to understand some less wavy people I've met. There are some people who openly treat relationships exactly as John described in the having mode. It's it's some kind of messed up. I know, it's funny, right? That bit when he was talking about that, it reminds me of a certain section of Twitter, you know? There's a certain section of Twitter where the, where the homeboys are all, are all of that mindset. God bless them. You know, I mean, there's, obviously, there's certain sessions of all sorts of areas, you know? Yeah, there's a whole load of, uh, mu- of popular music, which is, is is that, you know? There's there's a whole load of our society which is set up in that hilarious inversion. God bless. I say hilarious. <laughs> Ekansvillier said, Telly Tubby Son Herc had me rolling on the floor laughing. It was particularly funny, right? Because that was on my Instagram today. Oh, you know, we, I was videoing Herc doing stuff, and I was like, Hercules, video me throwing this big stick, and right? I'd like found I found a big tree trunk, you know, and I was picking up this mighty oak and casting it into the lake, you know. And uh, Hercules said, "I didn't video, Dada. I didn't video you, Dada. I videoed. I did this. <laughs> He'd found the Teletubby app. He found the Teletubby filter. Ah! God bless. Ekans Villiers says, "I have yet to enter the Twitter arena. You know, I don't know if I'd bother." 
I don't know if I'd bother. <laughs> See you. Uh, anyway, we have a vinyl campaign running. Did you know we've got a vinyl campaign running? You can get JBP Way vinyl now. Did you know that? It's confirmed. It's going to happen. We, we, we passed our goals to get it manufactured. Did you know that? We did. We passed our goals to make it beautiful and make it colored and make it gatefold. We did. We got Captain Jack working on extra levels of source right now. Hit me up earlier. He's like, I need the, I need the artwork in separate files. I need to get real close in on the face. Said, what you doing? He said, just you wait. It's gonna be sauce. I said, okay. I know what he's up to. He's up to something. He's talking about augmented reality and things. I'm like, all right, Captain Jack. All right, baby. I know everything. Didn't you see this? My job is out to outwork the chart. Oh, Goggins, Goggins. All right, let's check out this campaign. Let's see what we have with the campaign. Our current aim on the campaign is to get to 29, at which point we'll make a whole album. We'll make a whole JBP Wave album. Everyone will, everyone will get that music, baby. It'll be your gift to the world. Did you know at a 30K, by the way, YouTube Hero Alex is doing a face reveal. Did you know that? Did you know that? What a time to be alive, you know? What an absolute time to be alive. What an absolute unit. Uh, Twitch Hero Alex, YouTube Hero Alex, Discord Hero Alex. All these heroic Alexes, you know? All right, let's check it out. Refresh! Oh, 25-8! It's not quite a 26, but it's powerful, baby. 25-8. Come on! Word XP says, will we get Captain Jack wave one day? <laughs> Yo, you might, baby. You might. You might. Captain Jack wave. He just says sauce a lot, you know? Just beats and Captain Jack going sauce. Oh, shoot! Oh, my goodness. I forgot. I recorded. Oh, I forgot about it. This is so crazy. I have to pull this out, right? So, uh, this might, we have to make, might make this a stretch go. Just before we got yeeted out of the studio in Los Angeles and just before the Tom, Tom Hanks thing kicked off, I was making a sample pack. And I was making a funk sample pack, right? And Captain Jack, you know, he from Houston, right? So I was getting him to say saucy things and I was slightly pitching it down, you know? So it was like that chopped and screwed thing. So I've got, I had Captain Jack, right? So I was like, say something saucy. I just said, say something saucy. He's like, he's like, what was he? He's like swanging through the roof, roof, swanging in the thing. He was just talking about swanging in things, you know? Can't, whipping, whipping, whipping wood and candy grain or something. I don't know. He's chatting some some Houston shit, you know? Chatting some Houston sauce. Some Texas sauce, right? And I, he was, I was like, do this, do that. He's like, I was like, and he was like, it was cool, but he was like, I need to catch a vibe, I need to catch a vibe. I was like, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know. 
right? And uh, OG Louis, OG Louis the 18th or fifth or whatever it is, he's like a famous LA weed guy. You know, he'd come by my building and he'd give me a box of these like uh, pre rolls that he makes with the glass filter tips. You know, the special glass filter tips. You know, so I cracked one of them out. You know, me and Captain Jack shared one of those. You know. And then I put Captain Jack in the booth, you know. You remember it used to have the Golden Gator booth. It was a golden vocal booth and it had Gator, Gator all over it, you know. The, the Golden Gator booth. And I put Captain Jack in there and put a beat on. He's like, just put it on. He's like, just put it on a loop. I'm gonna, it's going to be sauce. And I put it on and he just went into a zone. And he was in there for like two hours. Remember I was talking about in the early days of rap, the rappers, like all those rap records are like 20 minutes long because the rappers just didn't know how to stop rapping. You know, they just kept going. I'm a rappity ripper dumb a doopity boo and I'm a drop my toast on the floor is cool. Hey, hey, you know? Okay. It's like that with Captain Jack. He was just in there sousing it down on the ground. So I got like, I got like two, three hours of Captain Jack just freestyling in the Gold Gator booth off of that OG Louie. You know, uh, <laughs> Because I was gonna make it into a sample pack, and then Tom Hanks came along and like just like messed up my shit to the point that I completely forgot about that one project. So I did everything else, but somehow, oh man, so that's sick. So I gotta dig it. I gotta dig that out, baby. I got that Captain Jack freestyle, that two and a half hour Captain Jack OG Louis freestyle. But yeah, to answer your question, Captain Jack, wave. Hey, baby, who knows what, what glory God's going to bring us, you know? It's, it's, it's an exciting time to be alive. Anything could happen. Anything, baby. Woo! All right, this is your boy. i got to get out of here. Go get ready for tomorrow. Remember, tomorrow, uh, special, special event tomorrow. It's Hercules' birthday. Hercules' birthday, so we're going to do a special father-son gaming stream. We're going to play some chill beats, and we're going to play, uh, I do believe we're going to play Lego Star Wars. We're going to play Lego Star Wars. It's going to be epic, you know, and uh, so that'll be fun. So come on down for that. We'll be on Twitch in the morning as, 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 you know, as we always am, as we always am. Oh, and we did a thing yesterday, and I really enjoyed it. It was actually really cool, you know, so... So I guess we could do it today. How do I choose the person? How do you choose a person? Let's see. How do you choose a person? YouTube Hero Alice says, shout out to Moose for the support. Is Moose still in the building? Is Moose still in the building? Walking More Poet says, I love me some Lego Star Wars. Lego Star Wars is iconic. Iconic. All right, who wants to spin the wheel? Someone's going to spin the wheel. How do we choose someone to spin the wheel? How do we do it? Hmm. Savage Chill says, all hail the mighty spinner. May his rotations deliver us to glory. All right, Savage Chill, you can spin the wheel. Savage Chill, because you did that nice little poem, you can do it. What up, Radio Radio says, we love you, Akira. Akira loves you, Radio Radio Radio. We love you, Radio 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 Radio. Yeah, we do. Savage Chill's about to spin the wheel. Come on, baby, come on.
is Meaning Wave. We're going to be starting the morning with Meaning Wave tomorrow. That's dope. That's what happened yesterday. Hurrah! Savage Chill says, how I spin it. You just spin it. You just did it with your mind. You just did it. You just did it. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you, Savage Chill. You spun us Meaning Wave. We're going to be kicking off the morning with Meaning Wave! Yes, we are. So that's very exciting. And with that being said, um, that's being said. Thank you all for being here. Okay, this is Meaning Wave two days in a row. It must be Meaning Wave. Dun, dun, nothing more, nothing less. Meaning Wave is the best. Three, two, one. Bye. We will see you tomorrow. Bye, Joe. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the support, Mr. Moose. And everybody else. Who was it? Who, who was it? Who, who, everyone who contributed to the campaign. Back that vinyl during this stream. Uh, whoever did that, you, you are powerful and epic. If you've not yet backed the campaign, I would advise you to do that ASAP, particularly if you want to get the What's Wave vinyl, because that's limited. Uh, that first printing of the What's Wave vinyl, there's only so many of them. And that beautiful JBP monolith, uh, that's also very limited. There's not so many of them in the slightest by Jove. So if you want to get those, you should get those. If you want to get those, you should get those. If you don't make stuff, there is no stuff. If you don't get uh, beautiful candy monoliths, there are no candy monoliths for you. Boom! Thank you for being here. We'll see you tomorrow for Hercules' birthday. And if it's anyone else's birthday tomorrow, hey, you can come, come on down too. And, um, you know, maybe, um, can we multi-game? Or is that being too ambitious too quickly? I don't know. Anyway, boom! Au revoir, you beautiful, beautiful people.